never uh, actually verified this, but I was told at one point that uh, the Red Cross, when they started wanting to train people that are working with them how to swim, that it started off as a in-the-classroom type of thing. So it was like, you know, diagrams and whatnot saying, this is how you swim, you move your arms like that, and you do this. Uh, and then they found that when they brought the people out of the classroom and into the water, they didn't know how to swim uh, because they had just been told about how to swim, seeing these diagrams, and then now uh, they've moved those classes to be more you know, in the pool, giving swimming lessons, like this is how you swim, this is what the water feels like, this is what you do to stay afloat, how to get air. Uh, and that's, uh, it was, and so I was told this story as a, like, we don't really learn well just by hearing something, uh, being told how to do something, but we actually learn best by actually doing it, being in the experience. It's kind of like, you know, on-the-job training or in-the-pool training. Uh, they needed to be in the water because if they just heard about it in diagrams or whatnot, uh, they didn't actually know how to swim. And there's kind of this uh, cycle, I don't know if it's used elsewhere besides the church, but this um, cycle of what it looks like to learn something. And this is it's kind of like four stages, and then a fifth one uh, kind of gets added to it. But the first stage is I do, you watch. So I do something and you watch me do it, observe it. Second is I do and you help. I'm doing something and you're helping me do it. Third, it's you do and I help. And then fourth, it's uh, you do and I watch. And then if the cycle starts all over again, it would be you do uh, and someone else watches. And so now you're having, then you know, then you do and then someone else helps. You know, so it kind of is a cycle that we need to see something done. We need to have help, you know, kind of training wheels on to help do, to, to learn how to do it. And then we need to be uh, given the opportunity to do it ourselves with somebody still supporting us. And then, you know, eventually it's, okay, now you're going to do it yourself. And as we come into this, uh, the Gospel according to Luke once again, we're going to see the disciples, uh, we saw in chapter 9, they got involved in what Jesus was doing. But now uh, in this from 9 to 19, he like really involves them, especially in the passage we're seeing today, is that they've been watching him do stuff, and then he's allowed them to help, and they, he's allowed them to go do things. In chapter 9, for there's 12 disciples that he sent them out to do something, and they came back and debriefed. And now today we see again, uh, they get sent out to do the stuff that Jesus is doing, but uh, with a greater group. And the theme of this uh, book, that uh, how I've titled it, is to seek and to save. When Jesus states his mission in Luke 19.10, he says, The Son of Man, referring to himself, has come to seek and to save the lost. And that idea of something being lost, he talks about it in depth in Luke chapter 15, where there's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. And he talks about this is God's heart, and he's come to express that heart. He's the you know, physical representation of this is God's heart, that he wants to find those who are lost, to seek them and save them and bring them back so that they are now found. And in chapters 1 through 9, I'll just get a very quick recap. They're basically, who is Jesus? Uh, chapters 1 to 2 are his early years, his birth, and when he was 12. Chapter 3 through 9, he begins his public ministry around the age of 30. And first, you hear about John the Baptist, who's pay, preparing the way. It's kind of like he's you know, getting all the things out of the, preparing people's hearts, softening the soil to receive the king that God is bringing. And then Jesus comes, he gets baptized, he goes into the wilderness, gets uh, tested by... Satan, and so he succeeds where Adam, the first human, failed. He did not give in to the testing of the serpent, but he shows that uh, he is the triadic tested, the true Son of God. And then chapter 4, Jesus gives his inaugural sermon, which is basically telling people his ministry 
is one of good news because there's going to be people are going to be released from those things that are burdening them and holding them down and they're going to be restored to how they're supposed to be and we are living in a broken world with broken relationships because of a, a broken relationship with God and Jesus says I'm coming to, to heal that I have good news for people that are feeling the weight of that and then he gives in chapter 6 his sermon on the plain uh, which you know maybe is the same as the Sermon on the Mount or a different setting. I mean, Jesus gave lots of sermons, but similar content where he's saying, this is what the kingdom is about. These are the kind of people that are going to be blessed. And he talks about this reversal that's going to happen, that people are trusting in Jesus now. Maybe life isn't going how we want it to, and maybe even the world is giving us hardship. But he says, one, in the kingdom, though, that's all going to be you know flipped around. Those who are mourning are going to be comforted. Those who are, you know, and so forth, that's going to be flipped. Who The people that are blessed now in this world are going to be the opposite uh, of who is blessed in the uh, world to come. And then, and in those chapters, uh, in chapters 3 through 9, there's lots of stories of healing people uh, and p- casting out demons. And it's really Jesus uh, doing his ministry in the area of Galilee, which is where he grew up. He grew up in Nazareth, which was in Galilee. And so he's doing his ministry there. And now this shift that happens, you can see it in chapter 9, verse 51, It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so chapters 9 through 19, uh, I mean, you know, chapters uh, 3 through 9 covered like three years. Uh, Chapters 9 through 19 cover however long it took Jesus to go from Galilee to Jerusalem to make that trip. So I don't know, it's a week or two or a month, I don't know. Maybe it took Jesus longer because he has lots of stops on the way. But it's just, you know, so time is slowing down. It went very fast. Uh, first, you know, chapters 1 to 2 was covering like whoop, 1 through 30 years, and then th- 3 years were being covered in 3 through 9, and now it's kind of like, you know, several weeks in chapters 9 through 19. And this is, Jesus is taking this road trip uh, for Passover. That was one of the three festivals that uh, Jews would travel to Jerusalem for to celebrate this big national festival together. And so he's making this trip to Passover uh, on his way there, and it says that the days drew near to, for him to be taken up. Uh, and set his face to Jerusalem. So he has this determination to accomplish a task. I've set my face there, that's where I'm going. Uh, and his task is he's going to be taken up, meaning he's going to be killed, he's going to be crucified, he's going to uh, die for his people's sins. That He told his disciples, if you want to follow me, it means deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And Jesus is on the way to being taken up, to being lifted up for him to go on the cross to pay for our rebellion and rejection of God. And so you can imagine that as people have followed Jesus, more people have come, they've heard, we think this, this guy's the Messiah, we think this guy is it. And their anticipation would be, okay, God's going to crown him king, and he's going to kick out the Romans. The Romans who have come in, they're living under Roman occupation, and the Romans have come in, and this is the Messiah, this is what we hope for, that he's going to kick people out, uh, and we're going to have our land back. And so you can imagine, as Jesus is like, it's time to go to Jerusalem, and people are like, this is it. This is the moment. He's going to go to the capital. He's going to confront the Romans. And all of us who are following him might be part of that. Or he's going to get other people. Where's this army going to come from? We're going to confront the Romans. And this is it. We're traveling there to make this happen. And so you can, you can feel the anticipation, uh, the excitement. Maybe that kind of like when you say like the environment was kind of like, I think the word is like electric. There's a kind of electricity in the air. It's like, is this really happening? Are we really doing this? We're going to Jerusalem to see this. And what happens in a lot of these... The stories on their way there is that there's these banquets. As Jesus is going, he has these dinners with people, these banquets. And it's kind of like the battle of the banquets where uh, he'll be in these settings and there'll be a religious teacher 
who brings something up and then he's kind of talking about this is what the kingdom is like on his way there. So even as people are maybe excited, uh, we are going to see Jesus kick out the Romans. Uh, even as he's going there, he's talking about this is what the kingdom is like. He's teaching people through sayings and parables. And that's what most of this section is about, Jesus eating. Uh, one person said uh, Jesus is in you know, Luke. Oftentimes Jesus is either uh, going to a dinner or eating dinner or leaving a dinner. And that's kind of what this chapter 9 to 19 is, eating at people's houses on his way to Jerusalem. And as he goes, he sends the disciples ahead of him to the towns he's going to pass through. He sends them ahead to prepare those towns and to find places where Jesus can stay and eat and talk about the kingdom. And so they're learning what does it look like to join Jesus on his mission. They've moved out, they've, you know, they've observed some, but now they're in participant mode, that they're being sent out. You know, it's kind of like uh, they've helped him, they've watched him, they've helped him, and now he's sending them out and watching them get involved in this yeah. mission. And so for us, our question is, what does it look like for us today to join Jesus' mission? Jesus has this kingdom mission going on, and he's recruiting people for it, and then he's getting them involved in it. And so what does it look like for us today, that for us to get involved in Jesus' mission? And that mission is to seek and to save. And there's no better way, as I said at the beginning, for us to learn surrender than to look at Jesus himself. Because when I, I've just found the last several years, I'm just growing uh, in, you know, it might sound weird, but just growing in depth of appreciation and love for not just what Jesus has done to save me, but this is someone I want to be like. When I see him, how he interacts with God and how he interacts with other people, um, it's just wanting to sit and, you know, at his feet and be like, I want to be like this person. And hopefully that's what we see. Is like, this Jesus is amazing, and we want to follow him as well. And so we're going to go in several uh, steps and get excited about this. Many of the steps start with R-E, the words, you know, rebuke, represent. You know, so get excited about that. Uh, you can anticipate it. But his first thing that happens is in uh, chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, really this is a, there's a rebuke. How do we join Jesus on his mission? Uh, he rebukes his disciples and basically uh, don't do it this way. This isn't how to do it. And so as uh, they go to this village, a Samaritan village, and they already have a dislike for Samaritans. They have a, a mixed heritage. Um, they used to be Jewish, but now they've been mixed with kind of other ethnicities. And they're worshiping in a different place. They weren't going to Jerusalem to worship. They have the, uh, their, their own place that they're worshiping. And so they have this dislike uh, for them, even before they reject Jesus. Jesus' disciples were Jews. And so they go through Samaritan territory and the Samaritans are like, wait, what? He's going to Jerusalem, not coming to our capital where we worship? Like, we don't want anything to do with this guy. He's not our Messiah. And the disciples are kind of upset by this. And they, you know, two of them say, uh, I, don't, you know, I don't know what situation, where they got the confidence to, that this is the thing they asked to do. When, I don't, I, you know, we've, I've never asked Jesus this, asking, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And it's like, that kind of escalated quickly, right? It's like, it was like, Jesus, we don't want anything to do. Jesus, you, you want us to take care of this problem? We'll burn them up if you want us to. And it's like, and then all it says is, uh, but he turned and rebuked them. And then he went on to another village. And so we see, and we'll come back to judgment later. Judgment is a real thing that will happen. Jesus isn't just like, you know, if they don't want me, that's fine. Um, they can do their own thing. Uh, but the reality is that there are consequences to rejecting Jesus. And he'll get to that later. But the con- what is supposed to happen is not right now, let's burn them up and have judgment come now. Judgment is going to be later. And he says, you know, calm down, James and John. We don't need to do that now. And then in uh, 
verses 57 to 62, this kind of gives us this, you know, there's like this big perspective on like Jesus sending people into these villages and finding people to follow him. And this really zeroes in on like Jesus' conversations. Like, okay, what would that actually look like? How are people responding to this when they're saying, you know, come follow me, come put your trust, surrender your life to this guy? What is it actually, what are, how are people responding? What would they ask? What are they saying? Uh, what kind of hang-ups do they have? Because you would think, like, well, that's kind of a big ask. You know, like, aren't people having trouble with this? And we see that they are, verses 57 through 62. So really this is like conversations about the cost of commitment to Jesus. And the first one, he, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And when Connor and I were studying this passage, we kind of were trying to categorize what are the thing, three things that these people, he says to these people. And the first person, he kind of gives a disclaimer about the cost. He gives, the guy's like, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, uh, let me give you a little disclaimer to see if you really want to get into this. Uh, everyone, all these creatures have homes, but I don't. I'm wandering around homeless. And so this guy's like, I'll follow you. And I think maybe our reaction is to be like, yes. Anybody who's, who wants to, is interested, like, let's just get him in. And Jesus is like, I want you, before you commit to this, I want you to know what you're getting into. Uh, it gives us a little disclaimer. Because he wants people to know the cost. And then the second person, uh, Jesus says to them in verse 59, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And it, it's difficult to know, okay, was this guy's dad, like, dead already? And he's like, I need to go bury my dad. Or is he saying, let me stick around with my parents until uh, I can do the honor. I need to honor my father and mother. They're going to die, and I need to make sure, like, I can help them in that. Maybe he's like, they're going. It might be a year. It might be a couple of weeks. I need to take care of this Jesus before I can follow you. And what's interesting is that Jesus places something. He's like, following me is more important than, you know, Honor your father and mother is one of the Ten Commandments. And he's saying, no, I want you to actually prioritize following me over honoring your father and mother, which, I mean, God would say all the time. We should honor God first and foremost uh, when that, and honor our father and mother when it doesn't contradict with honoring God. And so Jesus is saying, no, you need to come now. Let the dead bury their own dead. And the priority that you need right now is not burying your father, uh, but go and proclaim the kingdom, he says. That's what you need to be about. And so the first guy, he gives a disclaimer, like, are you sure you want to get, get into this? And this guy, he gives a command, uh, no, follow me and proclaim the kingdom. And the third person uh, in verse, starting at uh, verse 61, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so he's saying, like, if you want to get involved with this, I'm, I'm on the move. I'm on a mission. I have something to get done. And I can't wait around for you. If you want to get involved in this, like, it's, it's now. You can't be, you know, kind of coming along with me, but then also saying, like, I need to go do stuff back here. He's saying, I need you to be all in. This is surrendering all of your life. He's like, I want all of it. I want all of you. And the, he just gives, uh, so he kind of gives this requirement. Like, if you want to be part of this kingdom mission, you cannot be looking back at what you had before in your life before. And what I find, it's just so interesting that Jesus isn't like, yeah, anybody who wants to come, just come. I just want more people. Uh, he's like, no, I'm actually going to make it really hard for people to say yes to this. Uh, I mean, you say yes, there's no you know, earning of anything, but it's like, 
I, I, you need to know what you're getting into, that this is an all-in thing, surrendering all of your life to me. And Jesus refuses to be an add-on or an accessory or to become compartmentalized. It's like you can't just add me on to your life with your parents. You can't just add me on to your life with your home. You can't just add me on to your life with your family. He says, no, it's everything. I need to be the number one priority at the top of that list for you of who you're listening to. And so we see that repentance uh, requires turning from in order to turn to. That they have this life and they're, they have it going. And he says, if you want to follow me, you need to turn from that and turn to me. And unless you're willing to turn from whatever life you have, however you're feeling you know, your existence works, uh, I need you to turn from that and turn to me. It requires letting go of that in order for you to turn around and follow me. We need to let go. And so question we're asking is, what does it look like to join Jesus' mission? And this first step is repentance. That we need to turn from something or to turn to him. We need to let go. We can't hold on to that thing. And you know, Jesus, I, I want, you know, Jesus is holding on his hand like, you just got to take it and you're with me. And people are you know, holding on to stuff. I'm like, Jesus, I can't reach things. Like, you got to let go of that if you want to grab on and follow me. So for you, what are you holding on to that's holding you back from being all in? What are you holding on to that's holding you back from being all in? Jesus is inviting you to surrender. And really, something, well, the first guy, uh, he's like, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, yes, but I don't have any home. And then the next two guys are saying, I will follow. He says, follow me. And they say, yes, but I need to go bury my dad. Yes, but I need to say goodbye to my family. And he's saying, there's no yes, buts. It's just yes or no, which one is it? And so for you, what are you holding on to that's holding you back from being all in? What is your yes, but? Jesus, I'm saying yes to you, but, you know, this, this, and that. is are things I need to take care of or things that I'm concerned about or responsibilities I feel like I have in life. Like, I can't, you know, do this. And he says, no, there's no yes, buts, yes or no. That's really this first step about uh, how do you join Jesus' mission is surrender that we need to surrender. And then the next step is invite others to surrender. So this is our mission statement. He had calls for surrender, and then he's talking to the disciples about how to invite others to surrender. And this is in uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. And so verse 1, it says, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead to him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And just you know, note one little interesting word change. Uh, the, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72. And most, I, don't, I didn't do a, a lookup, but up until now, uh, it's talking about Jesus. Verse 62, chapter 9, Jesus said to him, but then 10, 1, it says, after this, the Lord. And so in some ways, Luke is saying, this is the Lord who's talking to these guys, and he's saying, he's sending them out. This is the king. And so he sends them ahead uh, as he travels. Go to these towns. I'm going to be going through them. Prep people for my arrival. And then he kind of like huddles them up. He's like, okay, huddle up, guys. Like, this is the game plan. This is, the, this is our play that we're running. Uh, and he's telling them how to be representatives. So that's what this, you know, how do we join Jesus on his mission? We need to be sent as his representatives. And so that's what 10, 1 through 24 is about, how to be Jesus' representatives. And why that is a good word to describe this is in verse 9 and verse 11. He says, tell people the kingdom has come near. And so these aren't, it's just not going through the town being like, hey, we got this teacher, this rabbi, he can give you a good lesson. They're coming through and saying, the kingdom is near. They've been waiting for this event. I mean, everyone's been waiting for it. And the event that all the Jewish people is going to these Jewish towns, what they've been waiting for is that God would return, 
to the temple in Jerusalem with his presence, that he would uh, set up his chosen king, the Messiah, and he would end their exile of foreign nations uh, having control of their land. And Jesus is saying that event is near. It's right around the corner. And they would know it, that's going to change everything to get our land back, to not be ruled by the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians or now the Romans, that uh, now Jesus is going to come and take care of that. Everything would be different. And Jesus is saying that event is near right around the corner. Uh, we saw in chapter 9, verse 51, he said the day... The days drew near for him to be taken up. The event they've been waiting for is coming. It's going to take place. Um, what they don't realize is what Jesus is talking about is his death uh, to free us from sin, Satan, and death, not to free us from uh, human enemies. And so they're sent as ambassadors. Basically, I come on behalf of the king with news. I'm telling you about an event that's about to take place. This is good news. It's not good advice. Like, hey, got some ideas, probably can improve your life. No, this is about an event that is going to happen that is going to change everything. And are you going to live in light of it or not? You have a decision to make. And so the, we see that representatives are surrendered to and sent by the king. If we want to represent him, we're surrendered to him as our king and we're sent by him uh, to uh, the world. And then we would ask, well, okay, what, what do representatives do? This is what he talks about in this huddle. Huddle up, guys. Let's do the game plan Verse 2, he says, I said to him, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so the first thing that representatives do is representatives request. Uh, they begin with prayer in the blessed steps. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, share the gospel. Uh, the first ones begin with prayer. It's a representative's request. They begin with prayer. And what Jesus the reality he brings up here, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, is telling us there's more people that need to hear about Jesus than there are people telling them about Jesus. He's like, look out there. Uh, there's a lot of people who need to hear about this kingdom. There's a lot of people who need to hear about me, but the laborers to do it are few. But then he's instructing them, uh, okay, what should we do? They go out into the harvest, and uh, they get laborers from the harvest for the harvest. Because think about these 12 guys, or these 72 here. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, he sends 12 out, and now he has 72 to send out. So where did these extra um, 60 people come from? Well, they came from the harvest. He's sending them out. There's lab- I'm sending you laborers for the harvest, and then you're coming back, and now we have more laborers. And so we get laborers for the harvest from the harvest. And the question that we've been beginning to learn to ask, and um, maybe you've heard it in bits and pieces, but the question is, Father, uh, where are you already at work, and how can I join you? Jesus sends them out. Uh, to do this work, and we want to ask, Father, where are you already at work, and how can I join you? And we're going to see that uh, they are supposed to be very attentive to where God is at work, and when they see where God is at work, they're supposed to stay there and invest themselves. And so first, representatives request. Second, representatives rely. Verses 3 through 4. He says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. There's this uh, kind of urgency, like don't be greeting people, don't get stuck, get to these towns, and you're not supposed to bring all your own food, all you know, extra clothing and extra shoes and whatnot. Um, and part of the reason is that they're supposed to rely on God for protection and provision, that don't bring any extra stuff. And it's kind of forcing them, like, uh, you know, it's like throwing somebody in the water who doesn't know how to swim, and it's like, you better learn to swim or you're going to drown. And so it's like he's sending them out being, you better re- learn to rely on God or this isn't going to go well for you. 
and but it forces them to find people who will provide for them. They don't have their own food, so they can't go to a town and be like, eh, doesn't seem like these people really are interested. We'll just eat our own food. But it's like, no, you if you don't find people that are interested, you're going to be really hungry until they get to the next town. So he's like, they need to rely on God to open up doors, and they need to rely on God for protection. He says uh, that he's sending them out as lambs in the midst of wolves, which is a bit uh, scary to think about, but the, what he's trying to say is, uh, this is risky. This is going to be vulnerable. This is going to be challenging for you. Not everyone's going to be happy uh, that you're saying, hey, we know the true king of the world, uh, and he's coming through your town today. Uh, the world's going to reject this king, but the, the word lambs uh, reminds them you have a shepherd, that Jesus is that shepherd with you, like you are lambs among wolves, but I'm your shepherd. It's going to be risky and challenging. And so the, for us, what we're asked to do, if we want to represent Jesus today and live as his representatives, is that we step out in faith. We rely on God. We, we recognize, you know, I don't have everything it takes to, I don't know, throw a good block party. I don't, have any, I don't know what all to say to somebody to uh, help them hear about Jesus. So we just go out and we offer what we have and we rely on God for his protection and provision. And then Jesus goes into possible responses. So verses 5 through 9 of chapter 10, representatives might be received. Representatives might be received. So he says in verse 5, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to the house, uh, to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, he'll return to you and remain in the same house, uh, eating, uh, drink, eating and drinking what, what they provide for the laborer deserves. His wages do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So representatives might be received, and what they're supposed to look for is openness. Receptivity looks like openness. They're open spiritually to Jesus, open relationally to a relationship with them, uh, and they're opening their home resources and relationships to them. So it's like, I'm interested in what you're saying. Please come to my home. But then also, if you're brought into somebody's home, thou, okay, their whole extended family probably lives... uh, Someone attached to that house, but then also whoever, whatever slaves they have in their household in that day, and then maybe neighbors. It's like this person's opening their home. They're saying, uh, I want you to stay here and eat my food and be with my people. And so they're open spiritually, they're open relationally, and they're opening their home resources and relationships. And he says, well, what do you do if you find someone like that? If you find someone who's open spiritually, open relationally, opening their home resources and relationships. He says, stay, stay with them, stay at that house. Heal, heal any sick people, diseased people that are brought to you, uh, and perhaps also that includes casting out demons, and announce the kingdom. The kingdom of God is near. It's right around the corner. It's coming, uh, and Jesus is going to be bringing it about. And it takes us back to Luke 4, uh, where Jesus gives his inaugural sermon of like, this is my program for what I'm going to be about in my kingdom. And he brings up the reality that we are broken people, living in a broken world, because of a broken relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming with good news to take care of all of that. That this, you know, being broken people in a broken world, a broken relationship with God, like, I'm coming to bring healing to that. And really, as they come into these towns, it, it, uh, it, our mission statement expresses it well. They're supposed to both show and tell the good news. They're showing it by saying, you know, peace on this house. I guess it's telling it. Uh, peace on this house. Jesus is coming to bring peace to this world, healing and wholeness. And uh, you know, let that be in your house if you receive that. But also showing it that they're healing the people in that house. That they're showing uh, when 
you say yes to Jesus, he comes into your life. Like he's going to come into your home. It's not just we're doing this out in the street talking, but you go into their house. It's this very personal thing. And Jesus, what does it look like when Jesus' kingdom comes to town? Uh, people are getting healed. Uh, they're eating and drinking together. It all sounds very much like when Jesus comes to town, right? That he's in Capernaum and he announces the kingdom and then he's healing people and he's you know, teaching people. <clears throat> and so they, uh, Jesus is taking the broken and making it new. And there's an already, uh, but not yet aspect to his kingdom. That Jesus, is, the kingdom is already present in our world through Jesus' followers. That's how it's happening here. That they're going to these towns, healing and announcing it, and saying the kingdom of God is near. That they're experiencing that healing, that the breaking in of the new creation into the old broken creation. That the future is already coming uh, in part here. And it's a foretaste. It's already here, but not yet fully. And so, for you, as you go about your life as a representative, look for openness. Look for people who are open spiritually, people who are open relationally, people who are opening their home resources and relationships to you. Second, another possible way people could respond is representatives might be rejected. They could be received or they could be rejected. And we already saw in uh, chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, that's what not to do when you're rejected. You don't say... Jesus, let's just call it on fire and get this over with. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> just, just hold your horses there. Uh, but what to do in, cha- in chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, he says, uh, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And so there's a, you're just basically supposed to move on. They're responsible for their response to Jesus. And uh, you're supposed to leave judgment to Jesus. And we see that uh, there's a cost both to repentance and a cost to non-repentance. We saw the cost of repentance in chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. There's a cost to it. If you receive this king, you're all in. You've got to give up what you're living for before and live for him now. Uh, and there's also a cost to not repenting, to non-repentance, that if you reject the king, Jesus says, uh, down further in chapter 6, actually let me read these verses, the cost of non-repentance, verses 13 through 16. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And so Jesus is saying, okay, yeah, James and John, right now is not Judgment Day. uh, But there is. There's grave consequences to people saying no to Jesus, to rejecting him. And these towns, Tyre and Sidon, were these unrighteous towns in the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, we all know those who are unrighteous towns. And then he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah up in verse 12. We know these towns from the Old Testament. They were totally ungodly, totally against God. But you know what? For you who've rejected the Son of God coming in person, it's going to be worse for you than it will be for them in the judgment. And so people's standing with God is based on response to Jesus, which is something that I think sometimes is hard for us to believe, that we think we might look at somebody and think, they're such good people, they're caring, they're generous, and like they have some sort of spirituality and relationship with God. I know they're not Christians, I know they haven't surrendered to Jesus, I know that's not what their life is about, 
it's hard for us to reconcile. Like, how could these good people be uh, judged like this, as Jesus talks about? And the reality is that they our standing with God is based on our response to Jesus. And when if we're saying no to Jesus, uh, to God's provision for us to be right with Him, uh, then we're saying no to forgiveness. God's saying like, you all have messed up. Uh, forgiveness has cost something to me, and I've paid the cost in sending my son to die. Do you want to be forgiven or not? Uh, in Second Corinthians chapter five, the Apostle Paul talks about how uh, God is reconciling the world to Himself through Jesus Christ. That this is a world we have a broken relationship with God, everybody, and God is reconciling the world to Himself through Jesus Christ. And so it's either do you want to accept forgiveness or not, or do you want to try to earn your way back or you know perform your way back? And you're never going to do it. The only way to get right is with Jesus. So our standing with God is based on our response to Jesus. And the principle he gives in verse 16, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. It reminds us that we are representatives. And if some, if we're talking to somebody about the Bible or Jesus or Christianity and they're like, I don't want any of that, it's not a rejection of us. I mean, it is, but ultimately it's a rejection of Jesus. Because if you're an ambassador a representative, you're there, I'm here on behalf of the king, you know, standing for his agenda, what he's trying to do, uh, his priorities, and if somebody's like, I don't want that, it's like, okay, it's like, you know, they've rejected the king that we're standing there on behalf of. So, something else representatives do, representatives might be rejected, and what we need to do is risk rejection. We need to risk rejection, and we need to risk rejection in order to find reception, uh, because unless we're willing to risk the possibility of being rejected, we are also then giving up the opportunity to see someone receive Jesus and be open to him. And what we learn in verse 16 is like it's, it's not really about us. It's about Jesus, not you. People are rejecting him. Uh, and it might include you, but ultimately it's rejecting him. In the last part of this passage, he does a debrief with them on rejoicing. See all the R-E words? This is exciting. When I like saw these, I was like, this is so super nerdy. Everyone's going to think it's weird, but I'm still going with it. So we have rejoicing, verses 10, or sorry, chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. And so the disciples, they go, he sends these 72 out, uh, and they go do their thing in these towns, and they come back to report to Jesus. And so this is like the debrief session. It's like, hey, go, go do this thing and come and report to me how it goes. And Jesus is debriefing with them. So verse 17 says that the, seven, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so they, the 72 returned rejoicing, even the demons submit in your name, right? In your name. They're going on his behalf, announcing the kingdom. And even the demons are subject. Uh, they've gone as his representatives with his authority, sharing in it. And they're releasing and restoring people from what's you know, gripping them. They're healing and delivering from darkness and brokenness. And they come back saying, Jesus, this was awesome. It worked. We went out and did it, right? We saw people freed, we saw people delivered, we saw people redeemed and rescued, and they're so excited, and Jesus celebrates with them. Verses 18 through 19, you know, talking about, I saw Satan fall from heaven, whether, whether, whether it was, you know, that was literal, or whether it was like, you know, symbolic of what you're doing is you are defeating 
Satan. I mean, how exciting would that be? It's like what you just did today is you're pushing back the powers of darkness that Jesus said, uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And so these are people busting down the gates of hell and bringing people out, redeeming them, healing them, rescuing them. And they come back and Jesus is like, that's awesome. You know, you got to be a part of it. And you saw it happen. And the snakes and scorpions thing um, or these you know, dangerous, hostile creatures. And if you look all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the serpent in the garden, uh, that God says uh, there will be someone born who's going to stomp on the head of the serpent. And these hostile, dangerous creatures, if you could take it as figurative, but like you've gone out and you're stomping on the head of Satan, the serpent that has led all God's people, uh, all people astray. And so he's rejoicing with them. But then it's almost like he kind of says, okay, coming close, like brings him in close and just looks him in the eyes and says, but there's something even more important to rejoice in. That he is saying, this is great and I'm rejoicing with you, but there's something even better to rejoice in. He says uh, in verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That your names, when heaven takes a census, uh, your name is included in the books of heaven, that you are its citizen. That's where you have your true belonging, that this world, he knows hardship is coming, and things won't only always go as well as it's just like now, and so he's saying, no matter what happens, this is where you can find joy, that your belonging is in heaven. And then Jesus himself rejoices, which is in verses 21 through 24, which is just amazing to think about. I don't know how you think about Jesus. Sometimes we might think of him as just this guy who's kind of, walking around, never gets kind of ruffled, never gets excited. Get, got mad that one time uh, in the temple, but he's just kind of like you know, a calm guy. But you see him, uh, what it says in verse uh, 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Jesus rejoicing. Do you have a joyful picture of Jesus, that he's rejoicing in front of his disciples here? Like, let's just have a little little party. You know, I don't know, he like tells them this thing, rejo- this is what you should rejoice in. And then it's like, he kind of just does his own thing. Like, he just starts praising God in the middle of them, uh, rejoicing. And what does he rejoice about? He says, uh, in verse 21, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And turning to the disciples, so he's having this moment praising God, and then he comes back and turns to his disciples. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That Satan being defeated uh, on earth earth is like people wanted to see this, but they didn't. And so Jesus, what he's doing, he's rejoicing that these disciples around him have received him. He knows this is a work of God that you guys gather here that I'm able to send out. I'm just rejoicing that you have received me. It's God, he says, not the wise, the understanding, the educated, the know-it-alls. Uh, you haven't been revealing to them, Father, but you were revealing to these little children, you know, as kind of a, an image for these, these needy people that don't have it all together, that don't have this education, that haven't, you know, uh, studied like the Pharisees and the, your rabbis. Like these are just fishermen and, and pe- people from different occupations, tax collectors, prostitutes, people who were li- having these terrible lives before Jesus, and now it's all been changed. And he says, 
Uh, I'm just rejoicing, God, that you've revealed it to them. And yes, uh, yesterday or two days ago, I just was in my office and I glanced up at my wall and I have these two certificates. You know, one is like one for my seminary education, the other is for the life, being licensed in our denomination. And I was like, I don't know what to do with these, so I guess I'll put them on my wall. Um, and I was thinking, you know what? Those don't say anything about my relationship with God. That one of the great mistakes we make in the American church is that we think knowing lots of stuff about God is the same as actually knowing God himself. And I was looking at that and I was like, you know, these don't prove anything. These don't prove anything about the quality of my relationship with God because I can know a lot of stuff but not actually know God. And Jesus here is rejoicing. Not that they know a lot of stuff. He's saying to people, you've revealed it not to the people who know all the stuff. You've revealed it to these people that have been working these blue-collar jobs that were working in, you know, uh, in prostitution and, and tax collecting, betrayed their country, and you've revealed it to them. And he's saying, the Father and Son, they reveal themselves. And that's, if anybody, any relationship you have, if, to know somebody it's required that they choose to reveal themselves. Because you can come talk to me and I could leave it all in, right? But Jesus is saying the Father and the Son, uh, he, he himself, are revealing themselves so we can know them. And if we've surrendered to Jesus, it's not because of what we've done, but it's because of God, that he's praising God, saying, these, you had these guys receive me uh, and receive you. And that was the work you had. And we read in 1 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 12, that no one says Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is like, this is great, celebrating what you've gone out to do, but there's something better. There's a better source of joy. And instead of having a joy in relationships, or sorry, instead of having joy in results, have it in relationships. You know, And really, joy is relational. Like You can't have true joy, true deep joy, unless it's relational. That's the true place it comes from. And so he's saying, don't rejoice in these results. Rejoice in the relationship you have with the Father because of what he's done in your life. That's more re- uh, reliable joy. That's deeper. It's truer. And so two things from this that representatives do. We rejoice in relationship. And also we rejoice when someone receives. It's not up to us. The pressure's off. Jesus is like, I'm rejoicing in my relationship with God. And he's rejoicing when God does something. But he's like, I know it's not up to me that People have to be drawn. So we rejoice in relationship and we rejoice when someone receives. And so just as we close, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you wake up excited to do every day? And some of us, we wake up feeling like, I've got this huge to-do list and I'm waking up to get that done. Take a deep breath and let's go at it. Or we wake up to maybe just make it through the day. Like I feel like my life is just trying to survive one you know, hour at a time. Or we wake up feeling excited about our job. Like, I just want to go into work today. I want, that's, that's my life. Like, I love the work that I do. Or maybe you wake up each day thinking, you know, is the weekend here yet? Because uh, that's what I'm looking forward to, whatever fun I have planned after work or on the weekend. And what Jesus shows us here is that there is this humongous purpose to live for. And it's going to the world, going to our everyday lives, and saying to people, the kingdom of God is right around the corner. It's coming. Jesus has come once and he's coming again. And there's healing for your brokenness and your sin and your relationship with God. And so we have these two things which really encompass our mission statement. Surrendering all of life to Jesus, inviting others to do the same. And from this passage we see what it means to be a disciple is to rejoice in Jesus, 
and join his kingdom mission. That we that surrenders, that we're rejoicing, that this is the relationship I have. I have him in my life. And we're also joining his kingdom mission by inviting others into that joy as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word here, for this these stories of Jesus sending out disciples. And Lord, would you send us out as well as your disciples and representatives today in our lives, wherever we live, work, and play. Lord, would you let us... Um, be people of joy in those places. And would you give us the excitement, the joy to invite others into that as well. Something we pray. Amen.